Hi, I'm Sung Ray. I'm something else. Here at Black Girl Soul, a podcast where we discuss the Asian dramas we love from a Black female perspective. We are looking to be entertained, to learn about other cultures, and share our passion for these shows. Welcome. Hello, everyone. This is Black Girl Soul. I am something else with Song Ray. And today we're going to discuss the fifth episode of Pachenko with a dear friend of ours, Natasha. Hello, everyone. Okay, so there's a lot going on. I'm going to let Sung Ray do the recap because she's best with this, and then we will get into it. So in this episode, Sunja is back home in Korea, and she's seeing things, and they're out exploring things, her and her son. Solomon is getting over his reel from losing the deal and finding out what is going to be his fate from the company after the major flub and just learning about Sunja as a youth, what she's getting ready to do and how she's introducing and getting ready to meet her new family. So we're coming into all of that. And so as the episode begins, we're learning about Sunja meeting her brother-in-law and her sister-in-law and the life that they have and their expectations of her and kind of what they feel about her they're not feeling too welcoming more so the brother than the sister-in-law but not feeling toward too welcoming towards her and so she's dealing with that and trying to you know make her way and feel like she is contributing and not just being a sucker from the family because she's also pregnant coming in and not a little pregnant she's big pregnant the brother and her husband trying to get themselves together and what they're dealing with we're learning about the bond that Sunja and her sister-in-law began to form we are also learning about Solomon's aftermath. So he is, you know, trying to make his way, but he goes to a friend's party and, you know, word is on the street because he is not the it guy any further and actually could possibly be in a bad situation with his company. He's banking on heading back to the U.S. anyway, so it's not really going to matter. And I saw lots of parallels that I want to discuss and dig into later. And then for older Sunja, she is delivering her sister-in-law's ashes she also goes to seek her father's grave and visit it and reconnects with the old family friend I think it was Bookie, but I'm not sure but in which case that was pretty much the gist of what happened in episode five we also get a, another snippet of Kohansu and what he's got going on so that's what happened in episode five think I missed anything no let's go oh. to the nitty-gritty Okay, I don't want to go in order of the show because I want to get to the knit, the grit, and the real of it. <laughs> Woo! When I saw Kohansu show up out of nowhere, I lost my mind. I was screaming at the TV. I was like, boy, oh boy, you are keeping up with your girl. I don't know if I like you all the way, but you fine right now. <laughs> y'all speak on it. I was a little bit mad at him. I ain't gonna lie. So fine that you following her around because I think she thought she saw him on the ferry, on the train, not the ferry, on the train. I think she thought she saw him on the train because she kept looking out the window at some man. We never could identify if it was him or not. But when he showed up at the end and was like, his comment is what pissed me off. When he was like, um, yeah, she married a dreamer and she's going to regret that for the rest of her life. And I'm like, dude. What the hell? What were you offering her? You weren't offering her anything other than, I guess, financial stability, but still. Well, let me give you the actual words he said, because, girl, I wrote them down. 
And I kind of felt what he was saying because Isaac said it too. His words were, she married a dreamer, a man weaker than her. And for this, she'll pay dearly. And I think it is almost prophetic. And Natasha might have to speak on this. And I don't know, maybe she'd be giving away too much. But at first, I didn't see... You know, like, when you look at her, I didn't see all of that about her, like, that she's just, like, some kind of, like, super strong woman or anything like that. But Isak also said that when he said he was going to have to take some of her courage and she'd be fine because she has boundless courage, like, when they were facing each other in bed. So I think that there's this place where Kohansu is correct that maybe she's going to be, like, the backbone of that little family because you saw how she was hustling it like hustling hustling to pay off that debt even though from a gender perspective she knew the men might be unhappy but she was taking care of business and yeah I totally agree with you I think Kohansu bless him and his pipe dreams all he had to offer her was hard dick and poorly drawn maps but at the end of the day sir like I appreciate it with you Right. I said it. I said it. I said it. Drawing okay. It. You know, I don't like how the show portrays Kohansu. So you talking I about know. him like this is, is exactly why I don't like it. Right. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Natasha's about to tell us she's about to break it down. But to side with you a bit, Natasha, it's like, I love the bad guy in this case. I do. I love the bad guy. Tell and, me, and I never tell me why you're a, getting it wrong. I never looked at him as a bad guy. And I don't know if that's just me being naive when I was reading the book that he was a bad guy all along, but I never looked at him as a bad guy. And in the book, it didn't play out this way, but he is tracking her. And when I found out in the book, I was just like, oh, I was happy. I was like, oh, someone's looking after her. <laughs> and the reason why, the reason why and this hasn't come out in the show yet, and I won't give any details, but Isak's going to go through some stuff. And I never looked at him as weaker than her. Like he goes through some stuff, but not because I feel like he's weaker. And it was good to have, you know, that old flame in the background, even though she doesn't know about it. So I thought those lines were pretty like, they were good for the dramatic effect, but it just kind of played into that bad boy, bad guy role. And, you know, I I just don't like that. So Ray, when you mentioned her, thinking that she saw him. The way I read that was not that it was actually him, but that he is still on her mind. Because I honestly do think think that if circumstances had been different, I think he would have been the love of her life. But And I think she was his. Even though though he looked like, you know, he's got this bad guy image and it looked like he he, he was kind of taking advantage of this naive girl, I think she was also the love of his life. I kind of might have to agree because, again, I'm going to preface with I know from the last time we had this conversation, he is not in love with his wife. That's not how he's presented his wife at all. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think she was the love of his life, too. And I feel like with this whole bad guy image, not just a bad boy, but a bad guy, like nefarious type of guy that I don't know how that's going to play in the future when I feel like he really does love her, you know? I don't know if they're going to really show that. Well, I know I was wanting to kind of also dig into what exactly was he doing? Did He bought the watch back, but why? Like, is he going to give it back to her? Like, I couldn't figure out what exactly he was doing. That confused me just a bit, too. I mean, 
my memory must be bad. I don't remember him giving her the watch. Maybe I skipped over it somehow. But to me, that was like, he's just super smart guy. That's his tie to her. And he knows going into Japan that there's an opportunity that she would have to pawn that to get by, especially since I'm sure there are not a lot of Korean ghettos. Like they kind of stuck together in Japan. So he knew people in the ghetto. Like he knew his hood, his Japanese Korean hood. And so he put the filler out. Like if this girl shows up with these things, because that was more money than like a lot of people I'm sure had. And so if she shows up asking to trade on this, then come let me know because I'm that guy. Like he's that hustler in their hood. Yeah, I, I don't have anything better to add. I'm, I'm, I was kind of confused, too, as to why he bought it back. I didn't even realize that he bought it back. I thought he was just seeing the watch and realizing that she had sold it. Yeah, I don't know. Did he buy it back? Was it clear that he bought it back? Yeah, because he says to the man, the man at the end says to him something, and he said, "How did? oh, how did you know she was going to sell it? And that's when he went on to answer about him being a dreamer, and he had the watch in his hand, and he told him, I'll give you 310 So he gave him $10 more for what he paid her. Mm. I thought that was his way of giving her money. I mean... Like, okay, so go with me because this is totally me pulling this out of my ear, of course. Okay. I think that he worked out a deal with that pawnbroker. Like, whatever she asked for, you give it. Because the pawnbroker on a normal day wouldn't have done that. Girl, because he started at 50 and they got up to 300 And I'm going, right. Oh, he started 50 and we going to move to... What? Exactly. Right, okay. exactly. I think he gave her what she really wanted because he knew he was going to get it back. Like, I think that was Kohansu's way of giving her money. Mm, okay. Yeah, case, it I could be. I mean, that too. yeah, I could agree. I could see that. And then he did say to her that before they had their argument that he would take care of her. And I guess he's basically doing that, you know, taking care of her. And she doesn't even really know it at this point. I mean, at the end of the day, it is his son. And so he does want to make sure his seed is, even though it doesn't have his name, it is his son. But, you know, that he is taken care of in a decent manner, that it's not going to be him out there bad, you know? Yeah, exactly. So what else did you all notice? I know I had to drop that one right away. I screamed at the TV. Even hope, sir. I might have to be a fan again, like a real, real fan. <laughs> Not just like, I, I acknowledge your greatness, but like, fangirl. Because when I even took a picture of the screen, when he like paid the money that he laid back on those pillows, I was like, mm, sir, you a <laughs> chocolate raspberry you. truffle up in here. You mm. a mess. I'm going to need you to watch Gangnam 1970. I told you, he has other acting chops. Y'all be coming at him sideways. He got other acting chops. That Wait, what's that movie? one called? What's it called? It's a movie called Gangnam 1970. Okay, I'm going to look. I looked up some of the other ones that you recommended, and I don't know that all of them were on Netflix or they weren't subtitled, so I haven't checked them out yet, but I'll look for that one too. Okay. That one you're probably going to have a hard time finding. I had to do some super digging to get to that. Oh, was it like an indie or something? Uh, no, just finding movies is not always that easy. Mm, okay. So, uh, so I don't know. I can't remember the chronological part of the show and if we need to discuss it chronologically, but a scene that, I, that really touched me was Isak and Sunja in bed talking 
and like trying to form a bond and like a love between them like that for me that was that was like my favorite scene of the whole episode I'm going to agree. I really enjoyed that because you could see they were both awkward. And he even said to her, I think he called her nervous or said, are you, you're nervous right now or something to the effect. But like they were just trying to figure out how to, we're family now and we got to figure out how to do this. Yeah. And it seemed like she was starting to love him. I mean, she, she initiated the, the whole sex scene too. So I, I just felt like, well, she's starting to have feelings for him now because he's just... I mean, he has a good heart and he's trying to take care of her. So something about that, she's kind of moving on from, from Kohansu. And the right. fact that right before that, the brother-in-law and sister-in-law has shared, well, the brother more than the sister-in-law shared his disdain in that, you know, where does she come from? We don't know her. We've let in someone in our house. We have no clue who they are and what they're about. I didn't realize she would be this far along. I'm shocked about this, like all of those negative comments. And it was like, oh, okay. My husband is not inside, he's not siding with them. He's saying to me, don't worry about this. So yeah, I can see how she, you know, I, I can, I can love you. I can be with you because you were at least protecting me. Yeah, that's how I felt too. And I totally understand the brother's concern because Isak really is a dreamer and, you know, weak. <laughs> I don't want to call him weak, but weak, like, like Kohansu said, then I could see how his brother, um, what's his brother's name um would would like want to try to try to protect him or make sure he's not being taken advantage of and one quick question before we move on from this did the brother know and sister-in-law know that that's not her child his child do they know that because it almost felt like they did i don't think i think they 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 are assuming that because of how far along she is because they knew his travel plans to come to Japan and they knew he had to stop in Korea. And I think they're just, they're, I don't think he told them. I just think they're assuming that because the timing doesn't line up. Cause, and that's why I think that's why he made that comment that she's much further along than we expected because, Hey, you weren't even there. You wouldn't have been there when she had gotten pregnant for her to be this far along. Got you. Cause that, that's kind of, like I said, I felt like they knew. Yeah, I think they know, but I don't think he told them. I think they just are assuming it. I just wanted to add that between those two scenes and then even just the scene between Sonja and her sister-in-law, I'm forgetting how to say her name, gave so much information about the dynamics of that little family, you know, how they kind of flow, because I'm sure that this is just a hint of what's to come and that the brother is actually much stronger, not stronger than Sanja's husband in that Isak doesn't have his own mind, but just that you can see that the brother is savvier in them streets and he's been hustling, hustling himself, trying to get by, even if he has to like <laughs> take out loans. Yeah. You can see their brotherly dynamic. And then just as a side note, I just think it was an interesting comparison between the way that Sunja and Isak had sex versus at least the initial sex that she had with Kohan Su. Just that she's she, coming into her own sexuality, that she's like the initiator. And it's just like a different dynamic with him. 
that she was kind of the one who seemed to be more in control. <laughs> so I was like, okay, go girl. Like, you know, run things, you know, <laughs> don't, don't just leave it up to him. I mean, she clearly enjoys sex. Like she ain't going to be some chick on the side. Like I'm just doing this because my husband wants it. Uh, uh-uh. Not our sunja, not our sunja. I also uh, agree. I feel like, you know, she, this was in my mind, her maturing and growing from what she's learned. And I'm not a hundred percent sure, but Isak came across as though he didn't know what to do. So she just took charge. And I was good with that. Cause I'm like, help him out, get him together. So he knows how to do it and knows how to do it. Right. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, what else did you all notice about this? episode so for me the first thing i noticed was the rice the rice came back up again and this time it was when uh kung hee he cooked for them it was their first night in osaka and she served the rice and son just started crying again and i was like oh lord this this i don't know like i wonder how this theme is going to thread throughout the rest of the show Anybody else notice I noticed that? it too. It'll be interesting to see. I don't remember the rice being a thing in the book, but visually, it, I mean, it helps for us to see like how much she longs for home and how much she misses home. And even that scene where when she and Kyung Hee are hanging laundry and she smells her clean, some clean piece of clothing that she's upset because she can't smell home anymore. Do you guys remember yeah. that? Yes, and I she, do. She's, so it's like, it, I guess it just shows us, you know, how much she's longing for home. And this is, this is a long time ago. This is a hundred years ago. So there's no good way for them to communicate. I don't know how Isak and, um, and his brother were communicating, I guess by letter, but yeah, so she, she's, she's having a hard time not knowing what's going on at home and being in this, I don't want to say totally hostile, but she feels the vibes that the brother is kind of suspicious of her. So, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel, she's still a teenager. Right. And then on top of that too, keep in mind, they're in Osaka during this time frame, And so Koreans are not being treated fairly and properly in Japan. Yeah, that's right. So she's dealing with that on top of the family, you know, feeling funny about her. So she got a lot going on. And she's so strong. I I think she's a strong person. And she's so strong and she's taking care of business and she's doing what she needs to do. And I think sometimes the weight is just too heavy and she just breaks down at certain stuff. So we're going to, since you took us here, I want to kind of segue in this, because this is where I saw her strength, like really shine was when they had to deal with the uh, loan sharks who had come to the door. And so the first thing I wanted to ask you, because you've read the book, in the book, did they have this type of situation and was the dynamic between Kyungi and Sunja like this? Or or is the story leaning more towards shining the light on Sunja because she is the main character in the drama? So I, it's hard for me to remember all the details, but I do remember that there was this situation and Kyunghee was more, I mean, she's been a wife for a while. She knows, you know, that her husband has these traditional... And she too roles male man and male and female roles, um, and you know Sunja came from a, a mom who had to, to handle business on her own after her husband died. So I don't know that Sunja um, was really thinking about it. And so Kyung Hee 
was saying, yeah, it's great. We can do this, but maybe we should talk to my husband or your husband first. And, um, and Sanja was just like, no, let's just take care of business. I don't even think, I don't even remember her husband knowing that she had this watch either. Um, so she, she was trying to keep it secret and Kyung Hee wasn't trying to dissuade her from contributing, but to dissuade her from doing it on their own. So yes, it was a thing in the book basically. Okay. Cause yeah, I kind of wondered just because I was trying to figure out, okay, is this them just giving her, you know, they, they want us to see her strength and what she's doing to basically be a part of the family contribute and not be a burden to the family. Cause as you note, the reason why they took the loan out was because his brother got married and they were coming to stay with yeah. him. And so she felt like it was her loan and her burden yeah. that she had to carry. And so, you know, I was just kind of trying to understand did the book put this like this or was this just the drama's purposes? Yeah, and it did. With- and I can't, I can't remember if like what the reaction was afterward when they found out, like when the men found out, I can't remember <laughs> like, how that played out. That was really my next thing is that at the end, when they were heading home, I couldn't figure out who was standing at the door. They showed a face, but I couldn't figure it out. But at the end, and it's, um, I was wondering what were their husbands going to say about them handling that on their own instead of at least coming to them and it, Give him the, you know, yeah, it wouldn't have worked the same way, but give him the watch and let him go try and negotiate and work it out. But, you know, it worked the way it did. And that was the reason why, because it led us back to Kwan too. So I was just trying to figure out, was this all for the drama's sake? Like, what was this? But yeah. But this is like, this is making it, the book and the show get a little fuzzy for me. I'm getting them mixed together. In the show, in the previous episodes, did Sunja's mom also give her something? to have in the case of an emergency she tried to give her those rings but sunja refused them and told her you keep those because i've got this and she asked her well where'd you get that and then she realized oh you got that from the child's father and she said yeah okay so the mom knew she had that watch and so she i assumed based upon what that scene looked like she kept the rings and sunja took the watch and wrapped that up as her in case of an emergency Okay, because I couldn't, I, like, my mind is telling me that she had both security thing, like, security blankets, she had the rings or whatever her mom gave her, and what, what uh, Kohansu gave her, but I couldn't, rem- I couldn't remember, and I don't remember it, I don't know, I don't want to throw it out there, because my memory's horrible, I was going to say that I, I can't remember if she used her mom's rings first and kept the watch, but maybe not. Um, And I just wanted to say that the guy at the door, when they returned, that was indeed Kanji's husband. That was the brother-in-law. And he didn't look happy. So maybe that's all they were going to give us. That he knew and he was not happy. Because so. uh, Kyung-hee asked her too at the end um, something else. She asked her, do you think we did the right thing? And I was like, hmm, interesting. I wonder are they going to have backlash from this? I can imagine that there's going to be some, you know, something going on. Um, unless the show goes into it, I just know that it it was not a good thing from his perspective. Who knows what Isak would feel about it, right? Because he's almost pragmatic in some ways. Like, he'd be like, okay, taken care of. Like, he he maybe wouldn't feel the undercurrents. That's what I'm getting from him so far. But, um, and Sunja's not going to understand because I think and of course, I'm just imbuing all this stuff into these characters, right? I think she's trying to prove herself in that dynamic because she immediately 
decided to sacrifice that watch. She didn't think, okay, my child might need something in the future. It was like, oh, I have a chance to fix things, you know, and, you know, I have a chance to like, you know, be autonomous and, and protect my family. And, you know, of course, Kunji was, going traditionally I'm scared of everything I don't come from this like her whole little you know uh, monologue at that you know right before they they went to um, pay off the loan was very interesting to me I mean it harkened back to what you said Natasha about who she was but to come from a family where she didn't have to handle or think about these things it was very hard for her to become a wife and to support the family in her traditional role and so here, Sunja's like, hey, I'm pushing you a little bit further because we got to do more than just our gender role. We have to reach out further than that. Yeah, I had mixed feelings about what Sunja did. Like, I, she, I felt proud of her, I guess, that she was able to take care of business and handle things and show that, you know, I, I caused this problem, but I can also contribute in some kind of way. But I kind of also agree with Kyung Hee that maybe she should have discussed it with her husband. Like, you know, I mean, we're 100 years in the future and I don't know that I would have done that today, you know, because I feel like it might have insulted or just like made my husband, paint my husband in a bad light, you know. And I agree with 110%. It may have been insulting. Go ahead, continue. Yeah, that, you know, that he is is telling the world that he wasn't able to take care of you, you know, and... even even if she had given him the watch, it might have hurt his pride, but at least to the outside world, it wouldn't have looked like. And I don't know how many people noticed it, but I think Kyung-hee notices oh, the, the, how it the looks to the rest neighbor. of the world. The nosy neighbor. You didn't see her take a seat at her stoop to watch? Girl. The nosy oh, neighbor. yeah. Girl. She was like, let me watch that show. Where's my popcorn? I mean, my Man. God. She yeah. was trying to help. That's why I knew that she was trash. Girl, Miss yes. Pro from 227, Yes. So yeah, I just had I had mixed feelings about it. Like I'm glad that she was able to take care of business, but I also think that Kyung Hee was right and maybe she should have talked to her husband first. Yeah, I felt that too. I mean, and and what you said about today, what you would do in your marriage and like what I would do if I were married. I wouldn't <laughs> like let's say it's a thousand dollars. I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm just gonna do this and not have any kind of conversation but I don't know it's just like she's the lead and I like Sunja so I was like oh girl do whatever you want to <laughs> what did you all see next okay. this is, should be a quick thing I don't totally understand why Isak and his brother moved to Japan I know that they are religious and they're going to be ministers or something but I don't know why they moved to Japan to live like this and like who's paying them well, you know what? I felt like they were like refugees. Like it was really bad in Korea and on the edge of war. And they were like, I mean, I don't know why they were like, hey, let's go into the lion's den. I don't know what that logic is. But maybe they thought it was easier or better in Japan or or maybe they were tied to Japan before the occupation. No, she, the occupation happened when she was like a kid, when Sunja was like 10 or something. So I don't know what that logic was. Yeah, I don't really get it because it seems like Kyung Hee has been there for a while with her husband, which I can't remember his name. And she, you know, is feeling the pains of not being in her home country. She seemed like she could she could empathize with, with Sun Ja with missing Korea. 
So I just, I'm just like, why, why are they there again? I know it's, I don't know why they're there. Well, maybe we need to do some research on that history. You know, some Ray and I always talk about how we got to learn world history in general, but because we're watching these dramas, we need that historical context. So maybe that's where this needs to come in. But I wanted to point out, I wanted to talk about Solomon a bit because, you know, a lot's been happening for young Solomon. That's what I'm thinking of him as, young Solomon, because he's kind of naive with what happened with his company. Dude, why did you think you wouldn't be fired? Like you blew up shop and messed up a major deal, debted it where it was questionable before. And then he had an attitude towards Naomi for her telling him the truth. But I was like, dude, you're in the same boat with Naomi. Like she's a woman and you Korean. Like y'all both out of pocket. Like what you talking about? And so what do y'all think about Solomon and him running around trying to fight Naomi instead of like trying to keep a job. What do you think? I don't know what to think about it. I didn't realize that he went to find Naomi um, after that party. Was that like the same, same night? I didn't understand the conversation. I didn't know if they were having a bonding moment or if they were throwing, if, if she was throwing shade at him or if she was trying to like help him by, by giving him some words of advice or caution I didn't get the scene. I was totally confused by the scene and I was totally confused by him not feeling like his, his job was in danger. I kind of feel like that it started off as, Oh, Hey, we happen to be in the same space. Let's try to bond. Why? I don't know, but that's what it felt like. But then it turned back into where they're digging at each other again. And so I just think that was for showing us the purposes that the two of them are never going to be friends and can never like, for all I know, they might turn into lovers later in this show. I don't know. But what I am getting at right now is these two bump heads. They're not, huh, I, don't, I don't have quite words to put it together, but they're just never going to be able to get along. I don't understand why, but they can't. And then as far as the whole Naomi thing, I feel like it turned weird because they went to look for her. No, no, not, not, look- not Naomi. I made a mistake and said it, and I think you're doing it too. Hannah. Hannah, thank you. Sorry, not, isn't Naomi the the worker? Yeah, she's a Japanese coworker. He okay. he went looking for Hannah, she, like in the middle of everything. Right, she mentioned Naomi. That's why I was her name popped in my head. Naomi mentioned Hannah. Sorry, and so even with that, it was like those when the, were when the dig started when she was saying what she said about Hannah, and he, oh, you heard that, and yeah, you must really love her. And then they, you know, got into whatever it was they got into. But you're right, he did go looking for her, but in the process of looking for her, and I think this is the part that was oddball and weird for me, he wound up meeting that guy and wound up insulting the man at the end. And I was like, okay, so why are we at their house? Why did we come here? What was this all about? I was lost on that. Well, I think the guy was purely like a function of letting us know that Solomon was like Icarus, right? He had flown too close to the sun, but he was scared because of his family's expectations of him to fly too low to the ground too. Because the guy even said, you know what, growing up, I felt sorry for you. I mean, you're not someone to pity because you have money, definitely more money than I did or a better circumstance than I did. But I pitied you because you had to deal with the expectations of your family. And so I thought it was just an interesting little group or family that we see who's poor, but they're sitting there, they're happy. And so when Solomon offers him money, 
it's an insult, not just because, okay, dude didn't ask for money. You feel like you're in a better position to just offer him money. But I'm like, Solomon, that man is at peace and you are all kinds of dysfunctional. Who are you to, want to offer anything to anybody else? I mean, that's just what I was thinking at the time. What do you all think? I'm going to have to watch the episode again. Like I, I enjoyed this episode a whole lot better than the last episode, but this one, I don't know. It just, it, it wasn't as memorable to me. And I just watched it like two days ago. So I need to watch it again and like really take in like what's going on with these conversations. Cause I feel like that's what we really need to pay attention to are the words in this particular episode. I also wanted to note from last episode that we discussed was the intro. This is a segue and we'll come back to where we are. But in the intro, I noticed, yes, Isak does have on tennis shoes, but I don't know if you paid attention to Sanja is barefoot. The Sanja of the 30s, the the younger Sanja, she's barefoot. So I was trying to figure out if maybe it speaks to their characters at that time, her being barefoot and free and loose, him having on tennis shoes because he's non-conventional, a dreamer. So I don't know. Just kind of want to throw that back out to you all and see what you thought. No, it can very well be true. I mean, with Sanja, I understood it a little bit more because she's wearing old style clothing. And I'm sure 90% of the time when she was walking around, she was wearing shoes. So for her to be free like that is an interesting thing. So thank you for noticing that. And speaking of Sanja, can we talk before we end the episode? Can we definitely talk about her going home to Korea and how in a weird kind of way it was empty for me? I mean... She was like, okay, we can leave two days early. Ma'am, you haven't been home for decades. And then you get home and then you see one of the women. I don't know which it was. I think it was like the tougher of the two friends, but you all correct me. And she tells her about all the tragedies that Sunja left behind. And I'm like, Sunja, how do you go decades and you didn't reach out? Like she just completely walled off that world, that country from her psyche to get by and then at the end she's like oh we can leave early because i can always come back i'm like chick you can always came back before what's up with you but tell me what you think and so in this case i don't know how the show and the book are gonna be the same and i'll throw this out there because i'm not even sure it's gonna be a spoiler <laughs> but um in the book sunja had communications at some point with her mother and those two friends of hers, they died in the book. So I don't know where the show is going to take that. But to me, that's why I thought, well, maybe that's why she didn't go back because she really didn't have anything to go back to. Um, besides, like, you know, feeling that familiarity of the culture and the land. How about you, Song Ray? What did you think? Honestly, I didn't really dig too deep into that. I just kind of watched it for what it was, saw that... Yes, while Sanja was extremely excited to get back, see things that she hadn't seen, I think learning of all of the tragedies and things that happened kind of made her go, you know what, this wasn't what I was supposed to officially be. This isn't the place I was supposed to officially be. And where I am and where I went is what was supposed to be. And I'm, you know, just going to have to take this and accept it. And then like another thing that to me when I was reading the book that kept coming back is like, how do you... Like, what defines you as a person? Like, what makes you you? She's got kids and grand and grandson who are basically Japanese, born and raised in Japan, but they have this Korean culture and heritage that they don't know much about. So how do they define themselves? How does she define them? 
And then she spent so much time out of Korea. Is she even really Korean anymore? I'm not saying that she's not, but I think that's something that a lot of people ask themselves um, when you have these types of identity issues going on. Or if you are away from a home that you grew up in, because you grew up in Korea, are you really Korean? So I don't know. I feel like that's something that keeps coming up a lot in the book. And I don't, I'm not sure I'm quite, I've quite worked it out enough to, to articulate it. But I think that that's something going on in the book is like this identity. Like, how do you, how do you define yourself? Who are we really? Um, does this identity that we want to cling to really matter in the end when it comes to stuff like that land buying deal, for example? I totally agree with you, especially when Sunja can't find her way. Like she's, things have moved. Like the Korea that she knew, of course, is different, but it's very different. You know, she can't find her her father's grave. She has to deal with bureaucratic red tape to figure it out. It's almost like she's a tourist in her own country. It's not really her home. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you guys, you know, live somewhere else besides where you grew up and I do too. And sometimes when I feel like I'm going home, where is my home? Is my home here? Is, is that really home? And that's what I feel like it is a lot of times. Or is my home, you know, back in Georgia, for example, when I go back, things are different. I've been gone for a long time. Things are different. I still feel culturally connected. Like there are some things that I can kind of relate to and understand. And it feels good to, to reconnect with that. But then there's a lot of stuff that's also different and, and changed. And I'm different and changed based on where I've been these past years, too. So. Yeah, it's like a, a, a almost like an identity crisis. And I feel and totally agree with you because I know for myself, I've got some friends sometimes who will say, oh, you should come back home. You should come back home. And I'm like, mm, that's not home anymore. Like, I don't have any way, any other way to put it other than, yes, that's where my family is. Yes, that's where I grew up. And yes, I know a lot of things there. But when I go there, I feel out of whack it's not quite the same experience. And me and my brother have talked about this, like going there, you're there, you, you know, you reminisce, you have those great vibes, you visit, visit people you love, but then it's just not the exact feeling of who, this is where I belong. Cause you don't belong there anymore. It's, it's weird. It is weird. Well, I'm sure we'll have a chance to further discuss this theme. Um, as we continue watching the show, is there anything else that you all want to add before we end this episode? Of course, I've got other things I would like to add, but I think that we have ad nauseum, you know, kind of took this where it needed to go in, talked it out. There's some stuff I'll bring up at another time because the parallels keep showing up. But we'll no, 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 no. I want you to talk about it. Talk about it now. Let's use up the hour if we got to. Like, let's talk about it because I, I want to know what you think about it. Like, what else did you see? Well, the only other thing was the paralleling between Young Kyung Hee and Sunja meeting. Sunja saying goodbye to Kyung Hee's ashes in 1981 in Busan. And just, you know, how when she was pouring those ashes, I kind of imagine her reminiscing about that first meeting. I don't know that that's what they were doing. That's just how it felt. Like she was reminiscing about that time in her life as they were going back and forth because it was like a ping pong of meeting her and saying goodbye to her. Did you notice that? I didn't notice that, but that's deep because to meet her and get to know her and then to lose her. I don't know. I'm looking forward to learning about this character and how they all get along. But from the beginning, I love that these two women depend on each other and form a close friendship, not just because they have to, because they're sister-in-laws, but 
they seem to be trying to really befriend each other. What yes, else? you might have noticed, and I guess I'm not spoiling anything here by saying this because you see the future Kyung Hee, is Kyung Hee's alone. She didn't have kids. Her husband's gone. So that's like a big thing with their bonding when they're younger and maybe they'll get more into that. But um, yeah, and I don't know, it never, we never get into why Kyung Hee is in Japan with her husband. Like I said, I don't know why they moved there, but she, for some reason, it seems like she had no other connections um, except for that one comment when they said that she came from a wealthier family, if they came from a family that had money back in Korea. I don't know. Then let me ask you a question because I'm confused. So who was the guy when Kyung Hee died that they had visit the home? Remember, like, there was this young Wasn't he a guy preacher? Wasn't he, like, a, a preacher or something? The yeah, he was a pastor. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I totally misunderstood that. I think, I don't, I think maybe I thought he was her son or something like that. So I got it wrong. Anyway, uh, so, Ray, what else did you notice? That was mainly it. Like, I, me seeing those parallels and wanting to kind of keep threading those in because I see as the show is going on, I'm, again, I'm praising the director because I feel like they're doing a great job of putting things in place and making it have these visual effects that help you. I'm in the process of re-watching the episode because, like I said, I kind of, I didn't remember a lot of it. And the second time around, I've been watching it in the original version, so Korean and Japanese being spoken. And I found it kind of impressive and a little bit trippy to just see some of them who, who go back and forth in the languages to just switch from, from Japanese to Korean. I think that's really awesome. And I wonder if the actors who do that, the ones who do that the most, if they had to learn one of the languages for the show or if they always spoke both languages or, you know, like what their, what their histories are. I found that to be interesting when I watched it that way. Yeah. I wonder culturally how that works because I saw something on YouTube where a Korean woman, I believe was talking about just Korean life. And she talked about how only 1% of the population in Korea really speaks English, despite what we see in media. If they speak a second language, it's, more often Japanese than English. Of course, that makes sense. But I wonder what percentage of Koreans speak Japanese. I doubt that it's high for Japanese to speak Korean. I'm sure mm -hmm. they do too. But as a defense mechanism, as a survival mechanism, I wonder how many Koreans speak Japanese. Speak Japanese. Yeah, that's interesting. I have a friend, well, had a friend when I was growing up whose mother uh, was Korean and she couldn't, she hated Japanese people because of this history. And she said that they had to learn Japanese in school and everybody kind of resisted it. So I don't know how, how long that went on where they had to learn Japanese in school and they still do that today. But I'd be curious to know too, that I guess that's something we can do some research on and see, you know, if that's still a thing in Korea that the kids learn Japanese in school. Yeah, if one of us finds it, then we'll definitely post it under Black Girl Soul. And Natasha, if you find it and you post it, then we'll requote you or something like that so that it's out there. That'd just be an interesting bit of information and something for those who follow us to discuss because someone else may def definitely know more about it than we do.
we are almost done with this episode. Um, I'm going to ask one more time if there's anything you all want to add before I close. Nothing. Songwrite? Anything else? No. Okay. Well, I also want to thank Lenora and Wendy for listening to us as we record. This is Black Girl Soul. We have discussed Pachenko, episode five. Look out for future episodes and our further discussion. I am something else with Song Ray and Natasha. Thank you so much, Natasha, for joining us. You all have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Black Girl Soul. We enjoyed having you, and please subscribe, like, and follow our Facebook page, YouTube channel, Twitter page, Instagram page, and join our Facebook group. You can also find us on Patreon. Please look below for links. See you guys next week.